I am not a prophet, but sometimes I have prophetic dreams. Popping once, now throwing long down the left side. Squatter has a piece going in for a touchdown. The Browns have won the game. <laughs> Cleveland, this is for you. Throwing deep down the left side. Squatter is open. He got the ball in the five-yard line. I tell you what, those people at left better come on back because this ball game is not over. I don't sense, I mean, you guys would have to ask Jimmy that, uh, but I s totally have the support of, of Mr. and Mrs. Haslam. It really doesn't tell the whole story. For the first time all year, the Browns went into halftime with the lead on a sneak by quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. Going to keep it to the end zone for the touchdown. Kaiser's third rushing touchdown of this season. Trying to get this team to be the best it can be, keep this coaching staff working hard, keep these players working hard. And that's that's my charge. There's nothing else. It can't be anything else. Gonna go deep down the far sideline. It is caught by Ricardo Lewis. And then the penalties. While they finished the day with only five, four of them came in the second half. Two of them were in the end zone, setting up first and goal situations for the Vikings. Been fighting for us since day one, so um, you know I'm not gonna put anything on him. Um, you know, it's, it's a collective, you know, group uh, that goes out there and try to win ball games. So uh, I'm gonna still continue to fight for him, and I know my teammates will too. My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan, screaming from the top of the Browns double decker bus. My name is Thelonious Seven, and you. You are listening to Straight No Chaser on the DBN Network. Now, unfortunately, I was unable to get behind the mic for an entire week. And part of that was due to my work and its ever-changing schedule. But another part of it was due to the fact that I'm making a behind-the-scenes coaching foray into the world of handball. Now, I'm certainly not qualified to coach anybody in handball at this point, but I went to a few practices of my daughter's team, started asking some questions, and now I'm spending some time that I would have spent making this show uh, thinking about how to beat a rival handball team. And it's kind of strange. It's one of the strange things about how this season has changed me. I mean, I'm always going to be into the Browns, into the Browns all the time, for real. But after a 1-23 start, some of that energy kind of finds its ways into more practical ventures. But this is a football show. So I'm going to leave the handball talk for the offseason. And believe me, in the offseason, I think I'll get back to it. This is the Monday morning edition of Straight No Chaser. And after all of the games, I have my typical post-game rituals. Uh, but this week was a little different. I uh, yeah, I got to watch the game a little bit earlier because of the time uh, as the game was scheduled in London this week. Uh, I actually got a chance to watch this game with my daughter. And, uh, you know, she actually seemed like she was following along what was going on during the game. But the whole time that we were watching this game, I, I felt really bad that I was introducing her to football with this Browns team. I mean, what horrible first memories. I mean, what am I teaching? What are we teaching to our kids with the squad? 
You know, I've racked my brain thinking about this. I don't know if you care about the Bible or translation. I'm, I'm obviously not going to get into any type of serious uh, religious discussion in this in this piece. But there's this passage in the Bible, Philippians 4, 8, where Paul talks about what the spirit produces to be able to deal with the problems that they have that you have in the world. These things were called the fruits of the spirit. And if you read one translation, the New International Version, it says that the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. Patience. But if you read the version of the Bible that's named after the great King James, who we all know hails from Akron, that version says the fruit of the Spirit is our love, joy, peace, and long suffering. Long suffering. Essentially, this is what we are teaching the youth of Cleveland as they are growing up in this football culture. And as you know, the lesson of long-suffering is a very, very hard and laborious lesson. The difference between patience and long-suffering, a nuanced difference, but it's something that you're learning every day when you're watching the Browns, and it's a lesson I try to teach my daughter every time we talk about football, for sure. If you actually watch these games every week, and you don't avert your eyes, you're going to know the difference between these two terms. And then the more you're around something, the more nuanced your vocabulary is going to be. I mean, in the end, you would have multiple words for snow. You listen to Triple B and those guys talk about beer. I mean, you could hear it there for sure. But I mean here, after last night's game. I have my post-game rituals. I open my bottle of wine, one that I didn't try before. And one thing that's really cool about living where I'm living now is you can buy wine at a reasonable cost. The same wine back in the States could cost easily five times as much but anyways I tasted this wine and for some reason the subtleties of the wine kind of reminded me of the game that I just watched you know losses for Cleveland Browns fan are kind of like wine they come in a variety of flavors to fit any palate the loss we had two weeks ago started out a little flat but it came on with the strong aroma of hope almost to the point you could taste the victory but finally It ended with the all-too-familiar taste of bitterness. But this week was different. You could tell that there should have been hope going into the half with a late TD. But you had to wonder. I don't know. If you just start at the beginning of the game with with the Miss PAT and the Trex meth punt, man. At this point, I kind of felt like, you know, you know what's coming. You Watch this scene for a while. You know what's going to happen. You know the game was over at that point. And for me... The way that we seem to lose, the way that this team ends up losing on a week-to-week basis, it does something for the fans. The fans start to learn about that. (laughs) They have a different type of appreciation for losing, I suppose. At least I do. I don't know. Well, after watching the game this Sunday, I would say there's about five things that I wanted to talk about in this episode, in this Monday uh, after version of straight no chaser uh the first thing i wanted to talk about was uh, deshaun kaiser uh, and how he seems to be developing in the course of this year eventually i also want to talk a little bit more about jackson and the d who even touch on nakawa at some point and then talk about really what needs to happen going into the second part of this year. Maybe this is a de facto mid-season review type of a show, but 
At this point, I want to start off by talking about Deshaun Kaiser and what Deshaun Kaiser has done uh, through the first eight games. At the beginning of this year, we had hopes. We would see this guy take some jumps. And unfortunately, instead of seeing uh, positive moves, we saw quite a bit of regression. And earlier on, the word was it was the interceptions and more specifically, it was the red zone picks. But for me, you know, as I'm watching the game, I, I don't really mind the picks so much. But what bugs me, I mean, it's been actually a lot of picks and a lot of red zone picks, and I can see why people kind of focus on this. But what really bugs me about this is it's these misplays that Kaiser is leaving on the field. Kaiser has missed quite a few huge plays due to his inaccurate passing. He missed a couple of those today, but for the most part, watching this game, I felt more concerned about the way that the receivers were dropping passes. The fact is that last year, the passing game seemed far more efficient than it is this year through eight games. I mean, last year, the team had those four rookies at wide receiver, you know, Terrell Pryor, and they had five five different people rotating through the quarterback position. And last year, there were a ton less poor passes thrown. But I would really say that there was less risk in the attempts as well. And additionally, the line play seemed to, to play a, a bigger role in what was happening in the passing game. But this year, the passing game seems actually worse than the first eight games. And this is for three pretty big reasons. The first one is uh, the issue that Kaiser seems to have with throwing bad passes, missing big plays due to inaccuracy. There was, of course, the play earlier in the year when uh, Njoku streaked down the field and the ball was just thrown out of his reach. There's no way he could have caught that ball. The one that I was really thinking about was the one last week uh, when um, uh, Njoku got open uh by the on the goal line on third and goal and you could clearly see what was happening in the play that they're going to throw the fade to Njoku in the quarter of the end zone but the ball was just so poorly thrown that Njoku had no chance and this is with Njoku a dude who is able to jump 70 or 80 feet into the air how Deshaun Kaiser can overthrow this guy in this situation I mean it's it's bizarre put the ball anywhere close to this guy it's a touchdown and it might even be the difference between the Browns losing that game and winning that game but I guess, you know what, last, last, uh, yeah. last week was last week. And in the end, the bad passes for Kaiser are the thing that I'd like to see him improve most on going forward. Additionally, in addition to these bad passes, the missed plays he has, we have an issue with drop passes, which is clearly an issue that's sticking with the Browns for the duration of this year. And additionally, the interceptions, although this last week, Kaiser did a really good job uh, overcoming these things. In addition to the big three things, the bad passes, the drop passes, and the INTs, the team also has to struggle a lot with penalties. And in this week, it seemed like Kaiser was able to reduce not only the interceptions, but the penalties on offense as well. Going into the second half of the season, he's going to have to focus more on making some of these big plays which are there to make. Because in fact, these big plays are going to be the difference between the Browns being able to win and not win games. A lot of times, these big passes for him um, are just mechanical issues. It just seems like his feet aren't set. He's trying to rush the throw. 
But with him, I'm sure he's having some mechanical issues. But the metaphor I want to use to describe what I'm looking at when I see him play quarterback, it's kind of a crass metaphor using the word uh, premature. But instead of like elucidating this metaphor, I'm going to go back to the old standard versus automatic transmission dichotomy. When the stress of the game gets going, he just has to be a little more gentle on that clutch. And what I'm looking at is I'm seeing a young buck who's got to have the game slow down a bit more. And he's got to have a little bit more of a mature response to what he's seeing. Eventually, as he gets more reps, as he gets more experience, as he gets more play time, the body and the mind should get in sync. And that work should become a little easier. He's going to be able to make some of those plays that he's missing uh, due to being too hyped up uh, for the situation. At least that's how I look at it, how I see it. You're looking at this guy as a potential franchise guy. And halfway through the year at 0-8, you can see the growth. And in the second half of the year, we're really going to see what happens with him. And I know wins, they're not a QB stat, I get that. But as good as this squad is, his improvement should be evidenced by at least two wins. That's, that's how I see it. And even with solving improvement from this point, it's a really good chance that I'm going to want to take a quarterback first overall anyways. It's not a slam dunk. And I'm not really into scouting that much yet. I'm not so much like easy weavers at this point. Although I can't blame him for being into it. You know, there's just more for me to see from this year before I understand what I want to look at going forward. We have further tests as fans of our ability to be long-suffering. Now, one of the things that I'm working on being more patient about is Jackson. But something that I'm happy to report or pleased to talk about is that Jackson seems to have finally adjusted his game plan to reflect the ability of his players, most notably a starting quarterback. Jackson's really made... Uh, the game a lot less complex for his offense. Kaiser seems to be throwing shorter passes and taking more of what is being given to him. And they're also running the ball more and more effectively. Now, the difference between the progress of Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser this year is that Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans has looked calm enough to make plays which are there. To this point, Deshaun Kaiser Kaiser hasn't been as consistent with this. However, from the go, Kaiser hasn't had training wheels on what he's been asked to do and Watson has. But at some point, it won't make a difference. And this might be Sour Graves talking. But I'm still looking for a regression to the mean with Deshaun Watson. We haven't seen it yet. But Deshaun Watson has thrown his share of bad picks. And let's see what happens in the second part of this year. But for Jackson, Jackson has finally dialed things back. And as the team adjusts to his approach, we'll see how it affects the final results. The third thing I was looking at this year was the defense. That defense. You know, at the beginning of this year, I didn't really know what this defense was going to look like. But I was going to be excited about watching this team progress. And at this point, by now, I am very happy with what I was able to watch and observe yesterday. Of course, last week where the team was able to to hold uh, the Titans uh, to just field goals, you know, for the for the duration of the game last week. And then this week, the defensive line uh, played so much better and has so much more depth than last year. I mean, yesterday they missed 
Larry Young, Yoke, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, and uh, Miles Garrett. But Nassib and Ogba stepped up and played well. It's something that last year, if Nassib and Ogba weren't playing well, that was too bad. Nobody else was going to step up and do something. But now you can see the depth on the roster can still play well. And in the end, the line graphic backing group was as good as it's been for a while yesterday. Joe Schobert was there. Collins seemed to be making plays in the backfield. Mike Jordan was absolutely wonderful at cornerback. Uh, I'm still hoping that Brian Body Calhoun ends up being okay after it appears he was injured yesterday. But the big issue for this squad uh, in the first part of the year seemed to be the safety position. And since Peppers has been out the last two weeks, I must say that I kind of like where this group is headed. I mean, watching yesterday the play of Derek Kindred, this guy was all over the place. Campbell uh, seemed to have had a couple of lapses yesterday. But for me, I felt like his play was much improved over what we'd seen in the last few weeks. And also, the one guy who I was happy to see make it out on on defense was my boy, Kai Nakua. This is the only dude on the roster who I feel is suited to play in a single high safety role. And finally, yesterday he got his opportunity. I'm not really sure why that was, but I'm glad to see that he had his chance. And he was steady and unspectacular in the preseason, and that describes pretty much what I saw yesterday. But I'd much rather see what he can bring and what he can develop in that spot. Additionally, and this is kind of the last thing I want to say as I wrap things up. I want to talk a little bit about Coach Jackson. But I'm kind of happy I stayed away from the mic last week. I had quite a few uh, disparaging comments for Coach Jackson after the Titans game. And yeah, after a week stepping away from it and being away from it, I'm kind of happy that I kept those to myself. I mean, I was talking about Kubler Ross's uh, stages of grief. And uh, I was going to talk about the game that I was witnessing last week and how I actually got to the point of feeling true anger for some of the decision-making that Hugh Jackson had done in that game. I got my real first flash of anger, my first real flash of it, when Hugh Jackson didn't accept the face mask penalty uh, in the first quarter of that Titans game. I mean, I'll go back and explain the situation. It was a a third and and one. The Browns were able to force an incompletion, but on that play, one of the Titans members uh, had a penalty for face mask. And the penalty would have put the Titans out of field goal range and put them in third and 17 in this situation. And Jackson originally said that he didn't accept the penalty uh, because he felt that the team would kick a field goal. And for me, I, I was I was uh, flabbergasted. I didn't have any words to describe how frustrated I was. I mean, actually, I did have some words, and I let people and everybody, I let everybody in this house where I was know how I felt about it. With a game manager, it's kind of like poker. You're a decision maker. You're playing the odds in a situation, and, and the decision to decline the penalty was one of the worst game managing choices I've seen in years, maybe since Pat Shermer. Literally, you know it's bad. When you're getting out coached by Mike Malarkey. I was over at the Music City Miracles a couple of weeks ago. And I, they were, you know, they were asking in one of their threads. How many games the Cleveland Browns would have won with Mike Malarkey as coach? 
This is a great question. I would say that that team could have won uh, two games at that point, maybe sitting at two and six right now. Because I think that's about where the team is. They could probably win a game against an average team at home. But in the end, I kind of think it's kind of a false choice too. You'd like to see better play. It's a bottom line business and wins matter. But the first and the second wins are way more important than the third through eighth wins. The ninth and the tenth wins, of course, are important because you're talking about playoffs. But until then, you're probably better off suppressing your win total like China suppresses its currency. The thing is that when Jackson makes his gameplay mistakes, I don't care what he says to the media. I mean, maybe I do care a little bit what he says to the media because him saying he was going to kick it, that's probably evidence that he doesn't that he might not actually know what he's doing and he might not even know he's making mistakes and that might be a little disturbing, but Jackson is responsible for plenty on game day. Maybe he needs a little less on his plate, but he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got football stuff. And again, he has the organizational structure that he has to worry about. You ask yourself about a split between the office, the front office and the coaches. You ask when the front office is serving the coach or when the coach is serving the front office. This year, you see the coach trying to develop talent. That's basically something that you're doing for the front office as opposed to trying to win, which is something that the coach should be doing for the team. And when you get down to it, trying to develop your own talent takes so much focus from just trying to win. And is this the correct approach? In my opinion, Coach Jackson doesn't need a Madden consultant, but he does need to be better on game day. Clearly, he needs to be better. And I'm going to remain on Hugh Jackson's bandwagon for now, even at 1-23. and I still feel like he can emerge as the guy who's the cornerstone for this organization going forward. This guy has been absolutely everything to this organization. And I'm willing to see it out. Still, if we see the same type of self-inflicted mistakes coming from Coach Hugh Jackson, I'm going to be able to understand the mass of people gathering on the shores of Lake Erie waiting to see what happens. Well... With that, we can put this episode in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to listen to this and all the shows at the DBN Network. Please leave a comment at the comment section as it helps facilitate discussion between you, the greatest fans in all of professional sports. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Melodious 7, on the DBN Network. Take care. Gossett is kneeling at the 17, 37-yard attempt. The kick is up. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double overtime. 23-20, and the stadium is gone for Zerk. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. (laughs) We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.